Today's reading is John chapter 4, verses 16 to 26. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and is now here, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Good evening. My name is Ed, and it's great to be with you. We're going to be looking at those verses from John chapter 4. The main point I want us to understand from these verses is this, that Jesus offers to satisfy the deepest cravings of our soul. But he does so by turning us from false worship of false gods to the true worship of the Father in spirit and truth. We're looking at the story of the Samaritan woman and it is one of the most uh, well-known and uh, really wonderful in the whole Bible. It's um, a story of a woman who had five husbands and then another man, she was therefore a, a bit of a woman of scandal. She was clearly an outcast of her own community and her community was a Samaritan, was outcast by the Jews. But one day in the middle of the day, she goes to the well uh, to draw water and she meets uh, Jesus. And Jesus says, I can give you living water, water so rich that it will become in you a spring of living water, welling up to eternal life, water so full that it will be infinitely more satisfying than any man ever could be. And she leaves that conversation completely having forgotten about the war she went from the first place, saying, could this be the saviour? It's a lovely, lovely story. But it is a bit of a strange conversation. You might have noticed as we read it, it seems to go through uh, a big change in conversation, a uh, change in topic, uh, halfway through the bit that we read, even more so uh, the weeks before. So it goes from, they, they talk about how they shouldn't be talking to one another. Then Jesus brings up the subject of living water. Then Jesus brings up the subject of uh, her history. And then she changes the topic to worship. Now we may think that these are four separate things. But actually, I think they're, they're all revolving around one thing. What you worship is, by definition, what you bind up your life in, what you look to to give you happiness. It is, if you like to use the metaphor, the water from which you drink to slake the soul, the, the, the thirst of your soul. Uh, the last time I spoke on this passage, I, um, I had the privilege of speaking to a group of uh, teenage boys. And, uh, and Hannah, being a bit, sorry, my wife Hannah, being a bit more down with the kids, told me I should speak about Fortnite. So I did a bit of research about Fortnite. Fortnite, for those of you who don't know, is a computer game. So I said to them, look, you know, many of, many of you will play Fortnite, and that's, that's absolutely fine. But some of you will worship Fortnite. Some of you, you could almost say, 
will get religious about format. And you can tell that to you because you know your, your, your teacher will be trying to teach you about maths and you'll be trying to listen, but really you'll be thinking about formats. Or when you get home and it's dinner time and your mum asks you to come, you'll get really annoyed with her because you want to keep playing Fortnite. And you wake up thinking about Fortnite and you'll give your money and your time and your energy to Fortnite. And that's when you know you're looking to it to quench the thirst of your soul. You've become religious about it. You worship it. And so this is all around the one conversation, which is why I say in the what we had last week, Jesus offers to satisfy the deepest cravings of our heart. This week we learn how he does that by turning us from false worship to the true worship of the true God. This is something I missed as a teenage boy, as I grew up in a Christian home. I thought worshiping Jesus was boring and bad for me. I thought praying was a waste of time. I thought church was dull. I thought reading my Bible was, was dull. And that to live for Jesus at school would, would ruin my life. What Jesus is saying is now that I it will give you what you were always looking for. You will find in this life, in all its fullness, that would spring up to eternal life itself. And sometimes I still miss it. Sometimes I forget that the best thing in the world for me is to worship the Father with all my heart. And I think other things will make me happy. And my prayer is that this passage will remind myself and remind you or teach you for the first time if you've not had it before that the true worship of the true God is what we most need. I have two points for us uh, this evening. We're going to look at false worship and true worship. Uh, these verses are, I imagine, well this conversation that this woman had, that Jesus had with this woman, I imagine was probably, she would have thought about it as the best and the worst conversation she'd ever had in her life. Verses 16 to 18 in particular are deeply uncomfortable. He exposes her. But I think in exposing her, he exposes all of us, all humanity, all, you know, we're all a bit like her. And, and I want us to see that and what we worship and how it, it works in our life that, that's bad for us. And then to think about what Jesus says about the true worship of God that we are commanded to. So false worship, three things about it. Firstly, false worship is the worship of something that is not the true God. I suppose that would seem obvious, but it's worth saying. And that can be anything. That can be Allah, that can be Shiva, or that can be romantic love or former. Romantic love seems to be what she worships. When Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here, the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to him, you're right in saying I have no husband. Verse 18, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you said is true. And in saying just that, the woman would later say, verse 29, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. This is, though Jesus said far from everything, it is, is as though she says he said everything. That, that is what my life was bound up in, these relationships. They were what I worshipped. They were the water I tried to drink from. We all worship something. As human beings we can't help but look to things to give us happiness and joy. Of course we must do that. But false worship is the worship of anything that is not the true God. Secondly, 
It disappoints us and it distorts us. She had had five husbands and one after another, they failed her. And so she moved to the sick man. And I don't want to labour this point because it was kind of the point of last week. Whoever drinks from this water will be thirsty again. Whenever we try and drink water, whenever we worship something that isn't God, it always lets us down. But not only does it let us down, it, it twists us and distorts us. You know, think about this. Is it good for someone to worship a computer game? No is the answer. Really not. I think of a friend of mine who, at the age of a brilliant man, so, so clever. At the age of 27, he, he quit his job to live with his parents and play Xbox. And he is one of the most miserable guys I know. It's so sad. But what a sad story that this lady has. She's seeking satisfaction in romantic love, which is a good thing, friends. It's a wonderful gift of God. But looking to it to do what it was never meant to do, she gives up on the one place where it is actually good for us. She gave up on marriage. The man you now have is not your husband. Is that not the story of so many in our culture? So many in, 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 in Britain look to romantic love to make them happy. They look to it to do something that it was never meant to do, a good thing. And so, so many have given up on marriage or even in real relationships. So many now are addicted to pornography. And you ask any porn addict and they will say, even that gets twisted. You go from pictures to videos and softcore to hardcore and, and worse. Every time we worship anything that's not the true God, disappoints us and it distorts us. Our desires get twisted, perverted, and we find out of our hearts come evil things, violence and vengeance, anger and arrogance, lust and laziness, greed and grumbling. And the final thing I want us to notice is that false worship is regularly supported by sort of cultural narratives, cultural lies, and uh, this is really coming from verse 20. The woman said to him, So I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you said that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. The narrative of that culture was the place where we worship is here. Now, why was that? Now, we know, in the, if we know our Bibles, back in the book of 2 Kings, or is it 1 Kings? We should, should remember that. Anyway. You'll be able to tell me. Please, someone tell me after this. Back in the book of Kings, there was a split in the nation of Israel. And the northern kingdom said, we don't need the temple. We don't need the true king of God's people. We, we want our own king. And so we will worship on this mountain. We can worship here. That's fine. And it was a lie. It was a lie specifically designed to pull them away from the true worship of the true God. Which is why Jesus could say to her, even though she was a Samaritan, she would have known the Old Testament, verse 22, you worship what you do not know. Now friends, that's, that's bang up to date. You know, what is Islam? 
it comes 600 years, 600 years after Jesus. And despite all the excellent history says, Jesus isn't the Messiah. Jesus is not God made man. He's just a prophet. Got it wrong. What is that, friends? It's a lie designed to pull people away from the true worship of God. But let me just give you one more example. Just, just one. There's others. There's many others. One that's been on my mind is political correctness. The idea that we must never say anything to offend someone. That we must never make people feel guilty. We must never point out, as it were, the sins of their life. Particularly that we must never say anything that could be construed by the watching world as, as sexist or racist or well, racist was meant to be the last one. I mean, it's very rare that we do that, but sexist or homophobic or transphobic or religionist. Even if it's true, it's almost like it's better to lie, better, or better, at the very least to be unsure about what we believe and to put it forth very tentatively, because it's wrong to cause offence. Now, how unlike Jesus that is, friends. I just, I just, Nick pointed this out to me. It's very helpful. Um, you know, Jesus loves people. Let's be clear. Matt brought it out beautifully for us last week. If you haven't listened to last week's sermon, Matt pointed this out. How he, what, you know, this woman, everyone else is drawing away from her, but he moves towards her. Jesus teaches us to love people and particularly to love the outsider, to go to them. He, he is the opposite of homophobic, transphobic, sexist, or racist, or any of these things. And if we follow him, we can't be any of these things. But he is very un-PC. You worship what you do not know. That's pretty rude. The true worship of God is this. But particularly, verse 16, go call your husband. He puts his finger on the really sore spot. And we may look at that and think, well, isn't that woman shaming? Is it, maybe it's not her fault that's what happened. He doesn't know her history. How dare he get involved? And, and why is that even relevant to the discussion? Surely our religion is a private matter. And what we do, or particularly what we do in our bedrooms, is a really private matter and has nothing to do with this. But the truth is, he loves her. He loves her so much. And he's not harsh here. He's not, he's not, judge, he's not judgmental in the sense that he's pointing out, like, you terrible person. He's not doing that, but he's putting his finger on it. And he's telling her the truth. And he's doing it because he knows that unless she sees the, the false worship that's dominating her life, she will never become a true worshiper of the Father. Unless she sees the water that she's been drinking on, she will never come to him for living water. Unless she sees her sin, the sin that she is truly ashamed of, she will not come to him as saviour. 
He did it because she needed to hear it and it was true. And so, and so do we. So do we. Friends, if we're, if we're politically correct, it will stop us being like Jesus. It will actually mean that we are, we put away from some people because that's what politically correct people do. They don't associate with certain sorts of people because they're so wretched. But, but not only that, we will, we won't be able to say that Jesus is the only way. We won't be able to say to our, our Muslim friend, my dear friend, do you know that Islam is a lie? We certainly won't be able to say, you're worshipping this and you must turn to Jesus. But not only that, if we're politically correct, it will actually stop us listening to Jesus. Because we'll start to say to Jesus, who are you to talk to me about my sin? It is a lie designed to put us away from him. And so just as we move on from this, that's all I want to say about false worship, that it's, it's the worship of something that is not God, it disappoints us, it distorts us, and it's often supported by lies. And there are many lies in the culture because it talks about other things. But I, I want to ask before we move on, have you ever had the experience of Jesus putting his finger on something in your life and saying, you need to stop worshipping that and come to me? It, it is, in fact, almost the constant experience of us as Christians. I don't know if you find that as a Christian. This feels like Jesus is always putting his finger on different things in our heart. And that's not a surprise. That's exactly what the Bible leads to believe. Because the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. But we should know that Jesus wields this sword like a surgeon wields a scalpel, not scalpel, sorry, not just to wound us, but to wound us so that he might heal us, to point out our, our false worship that he might show us a better way, and to show us how much he loves us all the same, so much that he died so that we could be forgiven. And so let's, let's come, secondly, to the true worship of God. The true worship of God. Verse 23 and 24 are the key verses here. For the hour is coming and is now here when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And there are, again, three things that exactly mirror, in fact, exactly mirror false worship. And we'll go through them one by one. Firstly... The true worship of, is the worship of the true God. And again, it's really obvious. wonder why I say it, but I, I say it because we, we need to define who the true God is. And Jesus does that for us here. He says two things about it in particular. Verse 23, you will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And then verse 24, God is spirit, Father and spirit. By spirit, I take it Jesus means that God is not like us. He's the creator rather than a creature. He's the source of all things, rather than one of the things he's made. He And he is almighty, he's wise, he's all good, and he has no body. 
He has um, no parts. He has no imperfections. He is therefore immense, invisible, incomprehensible. He is not like us. He is beyond us. Particularly here is implied uh, the idea that he, he is omnipresent. He is fully present everywhere. Which is why we can worship him anywhere now. Praise God through the Lord Jesus Christ. He, but he is spirit. He's awesome. And secondly, he is Father. And, and I take it by that, Jesus is saying he's Trinity. He's three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and particularly what he's pointing out is that as truly as the Bible can say he is Spirit, it can say he is love because he is Father. And for all eternity, the Father has poured out oceans of love on the Son in the Spirit, which is his glory. Who but a God like that could satisfy the desires, sorry, this song, I'm sorry. Who but a God like that could satisfy the desires of our soul? I, our desires seem to be insatiable. Only a God this awesome and big, and only a God this loving and good. True worship is the worship of the true God. Secondly, true worship is the worship of that God in spirit. Verse 23, the hour is coming, is now here, when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And then verse 24, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Just as we worship other things from the heart, we can't help but let our hearts get bound up with them. The true worship of God is to bind up our hearts, our lives, with him, to love him in all that we do. Friends, it's not quite true to say that Jesus satisfies the desires of our heart by giving us the Spirit, and the Spirit gives us all what we always wanted. What, what's more true to say, I think, is Jesus offers to satisfy the desires of our heart by giving us the Spirit who kills what we want. <laughs> so we want the right thing instead, if that makes sense. The prayer of the Christian is, help me do what I ought to do, help me not to do what I ought not, but help me to do whatever I do out of love for you. And this is good for us. Just as the worship of other things from our hearts disappoints us and distorts us and ruins us, it, it breaks our hearts. So as we worship God from the heart, we find our hearts being mended, enriched, and satisfied. It's a wonderful thing. Now we're so slow, I'm so slow on this, that actually the more wholeheartedly I worship God, the happier I would be, the more loving I would be. But, you know, take, a, take an hour. If you have an hour, often, often I would like to just sit down for an hour and watch, watch some TV. And that's not wrong at all, not wrong at all. And sometimes that's, that is quite possibly the most sensible thing to do. Sometimes when I have an hour, I get on my knees and pray. And I tell you what, I, I sometimes regret watching TV. I have never once regretted spending an hour with my father in prayer. I come out of that hour, and it's like I'm ready to face the world again. And I remember that he loves me, and I'm able to love others. And if that's true for an hour, what about a whole life? 
what about the whole life? The people invariably I find to be the most happy and content and at peace are the people who most love from the heart the true God. And so finally, the true worship of the true God is in, in spirit, but it's also in truth. Just as there are cultural lies that drag us away from God, there is a truth, the truth, that pushes us towards him. Just before Jesus died, he, he prayed, sanctify them, that means set them apart, set these people apart for your worship, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. And that truth is what we normally call the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The truth that God so loved the world, full of false worship, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him might not perish, but have eternal life. The worship of the true God is the implanting, the believing and writing and realizing of the gospel in our souls. We will never do anything out of love for God. We will never truly worship God until we come to believe the truth about God, about the gospel. And so let me end with the gospel from these verses. You know, it's a wonderful story. Here is this poor woman, an outcast, covered in shame, all because she was seeking a groom. And then who turns up but the, the bridegroom? And where all the others failed her, and where all the others disappointed her, and where all the others probably abused her in many ways, he loved her. He sought her joy, and he did it to the point that he gave his life for her on the cross, so that she, though, though covered in shame, might receive the honour of being a child of the Father, so that she, though an outcast, might be welcomed in, to the family behind all families. And here he washes her with the water of his word and pours out his spirit on her so that she might discover the all-surpassing joy of giving herself to him who gave himself for her so that she might become the worshipper of the Father in spirit and in truth. And you can see how that draws our hearts, does it not? to love him and to live with him. If you will believe this gospel, maybe you've never believed it before, if you will trust Jesus, he will, he will transform you from someone who worships things that are only going to disappoint you and distort you to bring you to have eternal life and worship the Father. And if we are believers, this is what he has done. This is the truth about us. And we pray, oh, that it might be written more deeply upon my heart, that I might worship him with my all.